The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. This morning we're going to be in Colossians 3, 12-17. I just want to, if you haven't been following, you can catch those online, but last week... Uh, Pastor Blair talked about this idea of putting off and putting on, right? Putting off those old things, those, those sinful things that were in us before we came to Christ and putting on Christ and, and that idea of being a new creation, being changed. And, and so the illustration he used was, was the idea of clothes. Like he had the, the stinky chore clothes, kind of nasty, smelly. And, and then after you wash up, why would you put those back on, right? You want those new clothes? And it got me thinking, because this week I get to talk about a little more about the putting on. And clothes, uh, for a long time, were an important part of my life. Not because I had to figure out how to dress, but because I didn't. Uh, I was in the Army for a little over 20 years, and they gave me clothes to wear every day, right? Uh, (laughs) Beautiful clothes, really. Uh, No. (laughs) But so... But these clothes represented something, and I didn't really realize the fullness of what they represented, but when I went to basic training, they fit me, and they gave me these clothes, this uniform that I would put on every single day. And as I was going through there, I started to learn about what those represented, the values behind those clothes, the ethos, the what they presented to for me in my heart, and then for others around me as they would look at me. And as I grew, as I, I matured, as I, I progressed in my career, those, that uniform took on more and more meaning. And I never wanted to disrespect it. I never wanted to uh, make it tarnished in front of other people. I wanted to wear it to represent my army and my nation. And, and so... When I think about that, it reminds me that we have this opportunity as followers to a much grander, exponentially grander opportunity to put on these attributes of Christ in our life to represent not only to ourselves as as we remember Christ and what he's done in us, but to others as, as they get to see Christ in us. And so... I, I love this idea because uh, as, as a soldier, I was kind of like you know, an ambassador, if you will, for my branch. And, and now as, as a believer, I'm an ambassador for Christ. And so I want to take him everywhere I go. I want to show him everywhere I go. I want to reflect Christ to a dark and dying world. And so this morning, we're going to talk about uh, some things we're going to put on. And um, so... If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Um, we are going to be in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers will, will put one in your hand. We always want you to be able to see God's Word for yourself as we're preaching. Uh, it, it's not that I'm going to have these great words. It's that I'm going to the Word. And so if you need that, raise your hand. Uh, I'm going to read through this passage, and then we're going to dive in and start picking this thing apart and see what it means for us now. Starting in verse 12, it says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, 
As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts for, to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so our big idea as we open this up this morning is that when we live a life full of Jesus, we look more like Jesus. Again, I hope you're writing these down. Take some notes this morning. As we live a life full of Jesus, we look more like Jesus. And so jumping right in at our first verse, in verse 12, uh, it starts in this section to show us that how we're living to be like Jesus. Now, Paul, who's writing this, starts out and he's, he calls us God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And this is an important place to start because this is an identity. Now, throughout the Old Testament, these uh, descriptions were only for Israel. They were only for God's people. And what Paul's doing in this is, is he's calling the rest of us out. I, I don't know if any of you have a Jewish background, but most of us are probably in the category of the Gentile, who gets called to God, gets grafted in, gets adopted into the family, and now we are chosen ones, chosen before the foundation of the earth to be his, created for his glory and our good. We're holy. I don't know about you, but this, this term holy, um, especially before I came to Christ, had a different connotation to me. I always thought it was the morally upright, right, the pure. And, and it is, but it's so much more because it, it really means that we are set apart. Set apart by God for God. And that's why those other characteristics in this uh, start to emerge in us. Because we're set apart. We're, we're other. We're not the same as the rest of the world. And then beloved. I love this. Um, you know, I immediately go to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And, and I think about John writing that. And, and the term John used for himself as he wrote his gospel was the one Jesus loved. And I don't think that was prideful like he was saying above everybody else. I think he was just saying, that is the most important thing in my identity. I'm the one Jesus loved. He loved me enough to choose me, to set me apart. And so we need to go into this passage holding this identity to, to make the rest of it make sense. And so as chosen ones, as holy and beloved, we're called... And that first part of the verse, it says, put on then. And, and, and this put on then is, is one of those therefore clauses, right? It should say, hey, we need to look back and see what we're talking about. And this one actually refers back to 
the verse 1 of, of chapter 3 where it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, which isn't a question, it's more of a because you have been raised with Christ, put on then in our identity as God's, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. And we're going to start right there. I love this term, this compassionate heart. Um, this is not an idea of like pity. It, it's not just looking on others with pity, but, but it's a reflection of Christ. Throughout the Gospels, throughout the, the accounts of his life, it talks about how he had compassion on people. He looked at them with, as sheep without a shepherd. He, he looked on them with compassion. He did things out of a heart of compassion for us. He fed miraculously. He healed miraculously. He comforted miraculously. And these weren't just the physical act of feeding and healing and comforting, but it was the spiritual aspect that was most important in this. So we get to put on this compassionate heart, this, this changed way that we view people. And it's not to look on people with pity, but to be driven to action. And if you'll notice as, as I go through this, even starting here, these aspects, these attributes that we're to put on that reflect Christ are all relational. It's all how we interact with each other. And so we're putting on compassionate hearts. And, and I forgot to tell you, this putting on is also it's what we would call a present imperative. It's an ongoing. So it's a keep on putting on. So like every day, every chance we have interaction and relationship, we get to practice this. We need to put on that compassionate heart. And then it goes into kindness. Kindness isn't just uh, being nice. It's not just being good. But it's actually, uh, it comes from a deeper place in our heart. Kindness uh, is, is looking on your neighbor with as much concern as you would have for yourself. It, it's, it's an interesting word in the Greek. Um, the, the translation is the same word it uses in, in a kind of famous passage, which is Matthew 11.30, where Jesus is saying, uh, take my yoke, because my yoke is easy. It, it's, it's not burdensome. It, his yoke is kind. And so as we get to put that on for him, as we get to put on this kindness, again, it should drive an interaction with other believers, even with non-believers. This, this is our chance to reflect the kindness of Christ. Because if you think about your life right now, he has been so kind to each of us. Um, just, just the fact that he chose us, that he saved us. If he did nothing else, that would be enough to forever sing his praises of his goodness, his kindness to us. But then it talks about humility. And, and I'm going to spend a little bit of extra time on here because I think humility is one of those distinguishing marks of character in the believer, or else it should be. It, and and uh, 
theologian who said, you know, humility is not thinking less of ourself, but thinking of ourself less, right? It's esteeming others as greater. And really where it starts with is a right positioning of ourself in relation to our God, recognizing his might, his majesty, his glory, and coming low before him, lowering ourselves willingly, right? Because there's humility and there's humiliation, and I don't know if you know this, but they both end up in the same place. One, one is our willingness to come low, and one is being made low. And I'll tell you, it is so much easier <laughs> to bring yourself and come low before our Lord. But this is very much a reflection of Christ. When, when he came, when he was incarnate, came as fully man, fully God, walking in his creation, we see that he... Even in Philippians 2.8, it says, And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself to the Father's will, to the plan of salvation. He didn't need to, but he willingly submitted himself which is in stark contrast to what the Greek word in that culture, and I'll tell you, it's still the same in today's culture. Humility had a negative connotation. It was those sniveling, groveling, low people. And so when they would use this, they wouldn't use this term as something to identify with. And Christ in his upside-down kingdom has brought this out as one of those distinguishing marks of a believer, of a follower. We should come and, and lower ourselves before him and then esteem others as greater than ourselves and, and serve them even to the point of death on the cross. This is just another example of that completely counterculture idea that we, we are called to live a different life. That's that set apart. We're not supposed to look like the rest of the world. And that humility rolls into meekness. And I got to tell you, I kind of hate this word. Not, not what it means, but just the fact that in English, it sounds like weakness, right? And so it kind of jumps, and I'm like, I don't want to be meek. That's mousy and small. But, but meekness has nothing to do with weakness, Meekness is truly power restrained. And so one of the pictures that I use in my mind with this is, is I think of a, a war horse, a powerful steed that, that would ride into battle, he, much more powerful than, than the, the people around him. He is driven, he is focused, he is going boldly into battle, but he is completely at the direction of the rider with a small bit that's placed in his mouth. So all that power restrained, controlled, and directed by the one riding. Just like for us, all that he's given us, all the gifts, all the power, if you will, that we have, mostly that we have through him, needs to be restrained and directed and driven by him, by, by his will for our lives. 
So though I hate the word because it sounds like weakness, I love what it means, the attribute of, of surrendering all that we have to be directed and driven by our Lord. And finally, patience. And I'll just tell you, I'm not very good with this anymore. I thought I used to be. Uh, I, I used to say I'm a very patient person. And, and the more I look at Christ, the more I look at the long suffering of our God, I realize how lacking I am in this. And, and the, the idea of patience, you know, we, we think of like, I can be patient, I can wait on this thing. But really in our culture, we don't wait. We don't like to wait. We want everything fast. We want it now. Um, and it's interesting because we're also called biblically to have patience with joy. And for me, I'm like, you can have patience or joy, but not both. They don't come together, right? <laughs> but to really focus on what our Lord looks like, his great patience, his long suffering. Because I will tell you, his demonstration of patience throughout his word is that we are sitting here today, that we have not been destroyed. Because every day, I deserve that in myself. I deserve eternal destruction. And every day is a demonstration of his patience. One, to, to get me to a point where he would save me, but then to, to bear with me as I'm being sanctified and growing and, and falling and tripping and stumbling along the way. So we see these attributes of God that we are called to put on as representatives of him, this clothing to reflect Christ. This is our uniform. If we're ambassadors for Christ, if we're going out into a world and, and we're in relation with each other and with those who are dying and perishing out there in the darkness, this is what we wear. So you've got to ask yourself, am I putting these things on every day? As I'm interacting with my spouse, as I'm interacting with my children, as I'm interacting with coworkers and friends, am I wearing these? And that flows right into the next verse. In verse 13, it talks about bearing with each other. So the relational things that we're putting on go right into relationship, how we interact with each other. And we are bearing with each other. We're living in community with other followers of Christ. And, and I'll tell you, this can be messy. Like you take, you know, one sinner and you, you put them in relationship with another, whether that's spouses together in a home or, or friendships or even in the church. A lot of times we, we think that, you know, we should come in here and everything should be perfect. But it's not because we're here. If it was just Christ, everything would be perfect. And it will be. We have that great hope. But when we have interactions with each other, there's stuff in us that isn't sanctified yet. And it can cause mess. It can cause friction. But we are called to bear with each other, to walk with each other, shoulder to shoulder towards Christ. And so when we wear these attributes and we wear them well, we do this well. And it's funny because it flows right in from bearing with each other, this idea of living together. And it says if one has a complaint against each other, like, like he knows that something's going to happen, right? <laughs> 
And then it says to forgive each other. And, you know, we, we do this all right. You know, sometimes it's like, hey, I know I'm supposed to forgive, so I forgive you, right? And it's words coming out of our mouth, but nothing changing in our heart. But there's a caveat on this. The caveat is we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And so we need to understand the weight of our debt to understand the massive forgiveness that we have been receiving. We have received into salvation. We receive continually. We have a huge debt, a debt that deserved death and nothing more. And we have been forgiven much. So we are called to forgive much. And I will tell you, this is not a suggestion. It says, so you also must forgive. If we have been forgiven much, we need to forgive each other freely, fully, and forever. And I know this is hard. Uh, you know, this is one of those areas that it, it, I get to uh, lead in Freedom Group, and this is one of those areas that it's hard because there's pain and we want justice, right? Unless it's us, then we want mercy. But, but we, want, we, want, we don't want to forgive. But what we need to do is trust that uh, because we have been forgiven much, we can forgive through Christ. And, and, and then it flows into how we can do this, how we can live together, what binds this all together, and that is love. And again, in, in, in verse 14, it says, And above all of these, put on love. And this is a, a present imperative. This is a keep on putting on love. And so this idea of uh, love being above all, it's, it's not just that it's the greatest commandment. It's not just that it's a better thing to put on, but it is the thing that holds everything together. A picture from that culture would be they, they put on their robes, right? And then this would be the thing that holds it together. This would be the belt. This is the all-encompassing aspect of our life. This is what makes it all work. This is how we are able to do the putting on of the compassionate heart and the kindness and the humility and meekness and patience. It's only possible if we love. If we love God and then love each other. And into this, it flows into this idea of harmony, right? As it binds everything together, it's in perfect harmony, like a song. As I come into this relationship and as our lives blend together, it can either be a horrid noise or it can come in love and create this song, this harmony. And so with that love, we can find harmony and it should reflect the harmony of our triune God. In John 17, the high priestly prayer, verses 22 through 23, Christ is talking to his Father. And he says, The glory is us, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as I loved you, or even as you loved me. Harmony. Lives joined together, reflecting the lives of our God. It's beautiful. And so as we look through these, as we look at what we're supposed to put on, and as we look at how we're supposed to live together in harmony with forgiveness, bearing with each other in love, got to ask you, how you doing? How you doing with this? Here's a question. Am I putting on these attributes every day? Am I, as I'm living with other people, am I reflecting Jesus? Look, there is no way to do these things in our life apart from Christ. Our own strength will not do it, because I can tell you that um, I can have compassion on people for a little while, but if it's just up to me, that's out the door. My, my mercy is low sometimes. But in Christ, I can do this. So how do I do this? I need to be living in the fullness of Jesus. And that's really what the next three verses talk about, is this fullness. And it starts in verse 15 with the fullness of Christ's peace. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so uh, another passage in John 14, verse 27, is Jesus telling us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so this perfect peace of Christ, the fullness of it, comes in and it changes us. It takes away fear. It takes away anxiety. It takes away the the worries of the world and allows us to live in harmony, to reflect Jesus to each other. And, and, And we need to understand that peace is more than just an absence of conflict, right? Because in general, that's what we think. The absence of conflict is peace, but it's so much more because it is a completeness. It's a wholeness. It's the idea of shalom. It's what we are going to have when we get to stand in his presence eternally. It's his peace. And this happens in our life. As his peace comes in, we're able to have peace personally and then corporately. And it happens because it says in here, let that peace rule in your hearts. And I want you to think of this idea as, as his peace in our heart is kind of like an umpire, an arbiter. He it is, is the one who's making the call. And so our actions should, should be ruled by that peace of Christ in us. So we, we don't have to fear interaction. We, we, we can have peace among each other, fullness, as we come together in that harmony. This removes that fear of interaction. It's social awkwardness, the, the timidity, 
uh, that we feel in interacting with others sometimes. And it just wells up and it starts to rule in our heart. And that's made possible really by the next verse, verse verse 16, which is the fullness of his word is what it describes. And it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Is, is his voice through his word in your heart causing that peace, ruling and reigning, allowing us to put on these attributes? So how do we get the fullness of his word? Read the book. Read it often. Read it every day till it is dwelling in you richly. Not just that I've, I've read and, and I went through and I checked the block for my, my quiet time and I did this chapter or this passage or whatever, until it is in you. You read it. You meditate on it. You think on it through the day. And as it plants deep in your heart, his word starts to control us and flow out of us. You need to read his book. Is the author to open your eyes to it, to open your ears to it, to open your heart to understand it. And I'll tell you, this verse was actually hard for me early on because it talks about this idea of, of planting his word. And when I think of planting the word, I don't go to the heart, I go to the head. I read it, I want to understand it, I want to have the knowledge because it talks about admonishing and teaching one another in all wisdom. I want his wisdom but too often I want it up here. And I don't need it up here. I need it in my heart. And then it jumps, right? As we're teaching and admonishing with all wisdom, and then it jumps to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I'm like, Whoa, what? I was reading the book. How do we get to singing? Well, as his word dwells richly in our heart, it should make us explode in song. The church, Jesus' church, has always been a singing church throughout history. We sing songs about him to him. And I don't know if you notice this, every single week, that is what we're doing. And I am so thankful for redemption because we have a group of people together who are looking at this and they're picking songs that are from the book. They might not be word for word, but they are about this truth. And we will not sing things that are not true. And as we sing these things, it just tills up that fertile soil in our heart. And so his word is just coming alive to us and we're able to sing to him, about him. And that encourages each other as you sing out together about who he is. It just encourages, it, it strengthens that fullness of his word in us. And it's all made possible by the fullness of his name. And so this last verse Verse 17, and whatever you do, that's everything. And just in case we, we miss that, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, 
So everything that flows out of our mouth from our heart and every action that we take, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This, this can be hard because there are things, even, even John mentioned this morning, right? Sometimes I'm not quite there. Everything I have isn't going for Jesus. I'm not representing the name of my Lord and Savior, the name above all other names. I just, I, I fall short. And so I, I go back to his patience, his long suffering, and thank God for that. Every word and deed, is it reflecting our Lord and Savior? This, this leaves no room for anything else. And this is a command. And so, I know for me, this is an ongoing prayer. Lord, continue to sanctify me until every word and every deed is done in your name. And one day, it'll be that way. Maybe not here, but when we stand in his presence in eternity, singing, right, singing truth about who he is and what he's done, we'll know that we have all the fullness. But this fullness is what allows us, his peace, his word, and his name, dwelling in us fully, controlling our heart is what allows us to do that other thing, the relational aspects, the day-to-day -day interactions with each other. So that vertical gets straight, and then the horizontal starts to fall into place. So because we're living in the fullness of Jesus, we're able to be like Jesus. But I want to, before we close, I just want to come back to these last three verses. And there's this theme that's beautiful through it, and that is living thankfully because of Jesus. At the end of verse 15, it's like it tells this whole sentence, and then it says, and be thankful. Again, a command. And be thankful. What are we thankful for? We're thankful for the peace of Christ that rules in our heart. Verse 16, as we talk about let the word of God dwell richly in us, and we sing out, it says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Full, and we are thankful for who God is, his attributes, and what he has done. And then finally in verse 17, as, as we do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our, our, our right living, our right worship is only made possible because of the perfect life that Christ lived, humbly submitted to the Father's will, right? Gentle and lowly. And then, because what we're going to celebrate on Good Friday, because he went to take the punishment we deserve and died on that cross, we can be thankful. And so as we look at this, we just want to think back about the idea that when we live a life full of Jesus, we look more like Jesus.
So I want you to think about what you need in your life. What fullness do you feel like might not be there? Is it his peace? Is it his word? Is it his name? And what attributes do you need to prayerfully ask him to, to grow in you as you put those on, as you interact with each other? My desire as your pastor is that we would be growing in each of these areas. I say we. I'm a work in progress, and, and we all are, but we are progressively being sanctified till we look more like Jesus. So as we get ready to bring the, the worship team back up here, I'm just going to pray for us, and then we are going to take communion together in thankfulness for who he is and what he's done. All right, Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you that, Lord, it's only because of Christ. It is only because of our Lord and Savior that we can love each other well, that we can try to walk humbly submitted to you. Lord, and when we fall, we can be thankful, thankful that you are patient, thankful that uh, despite ourselves, you already did it all. Lord, help us to show these things. Help us to live a life full of you. Help us to desire your word. Help us to meditate on it. Let it grow in our hearts until we want to sing of your goodness, of your glory. And we know, we recognize, Lord, that it is only possible through Christ, through his work on the cross. The payment was made and it counted for us. Lord, as we prepare to go to your table, I pray that you would help our hearts to readily come before you, to ask to freshly forgive us. If we have withheld forgiveness, if, if we have not been living rightly with each other. So I ask you, Lord, for your forgiveness right now. Where I've fallen short. Where we have fallen short. And we trust that you are faithful to forgive. And we pray this in the mighty, powerful, and loving name of Jesus. Amen.